Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. I have found as as the years roll by that most everything is fluid and that really includes the ADHD experience as well as gender and, and, and sexuality identity. I think we uh, as adults and older generations tend to want to categorize people and feel more comfortable when folks identify a certain way and stick with it. However, that is, that is not the reality of the human experience. And, and that's, that's true for the experience of having ADHD and also true for the experience of, of gender and sexual identity. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Truth Story FM. I'm Pete Bright, and uh, look, right there by that it's tree, me. it's Nikki. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Uh, how you doing? Can I just... Doing great. Can I just ask you about your car? Did you figure it out? Do you have a new car? Well, I might be. Oh. I, I uh, spent most of uh, Tuesday in major distraction. And you know what? What's really funny is that I looked up a car. Uh-huh. I found a car. Uh-huh. I asked if the car was still available. They uh-huh. said, sure. Do you want to do a test drive this, t- tonight? Yeah, I would. Okay. <laughs> I haven't so, looked at so any far, other car. It seems pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I come home and I'm like, this is the car. Oh my God, I love this car. And my husband's like, but you haven't looked at any other cars. Oh, it would be your husband to do that. Oh, he's so pragmatic. Yes. Slow your roll, pragmatist. And I said, no, it's okay. Like I found the car. Like, (laughs) and then I I reminded him that when we bought our house, I'm like, you know, we looked at maybe four or five houses before we bought our house. So this is kind of how we live for like 15 years. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of back and forth with the dealership and so we'll see, but yeah, fingers crossed. Well, my, my biggest power play was, um, but it brings, it brings me joy and (laughs) we only live one life. (laughs) And so we need to live it, you know, in a joyful manner. It's a car that sparks joy. It sparks joy. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. We'll see. Uh, We are, we're talking about, I, I, we've got a fantastic guest uh, on the show and I'm, I'm really excited to have this, this conversation. And uh, in, in terms of, of, you know, ADHD stories, uh, I'm, I'm, I think this is going to be pretty special. Uh, so I'm, I'm real excited to go ahead and get started. The car thing was super important, though, and I feel like we had to check <laughs> that off the list. Uh, That's right. But before we uh, start our conversation, though, you know the drill. Head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list, and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at TakeControlADHD. And you know what I, I've been hearing some other uh, podcasts doing uh, that are long-running podcasts is just reminding people about how to listen to their show. And I think that's really fascinating because oh. I wonder if somebody is is coming to the show for the first time, 
where do you start? Where do you start listening oh. to the show? I'll tell you, you know what's great about our show? You can start anywhere. Really you really can. can. We are right. uh, we are not an episodic show. So really, you can pick any show you want, any episode you want. And uh, I highly encourage you to head over to TakeControlADHD.com slash podcast and just browse the archives, browse the catalog and look for topics that are really um, that you feel like are, are interesting to you. Um, that would be that would be the great place to start. You don't have to worry about starting at episode one, although there are people who do. Um and oh my gosh! We, I can oh, you even was imagine? Was that 2008, 2010? To your when voice. was it? No, it was it was 2011. I mean, I think it was. Was it 11? I think okay. it was 2011. But but then there are a couple of years where we didn't. We we've hidden those archives because those were about right. organizing, not ADHD. Yeah, so, right, right. Those are the the real diehards who have found episode one, the office closet, on the <laughs> website. That's awesome. Yeah, that hit episode. <laughs> I, I need the to go back and closet. listen to that. So don't we have a hundred episodes coming or something or 10 years? What do we got uh, going on? A hundred episodes? Did you just say a well, hundred? No. God, episodes? I know. We have over 400, don't we? Uh, we Almost This is episode 497 today. <laughs> Okay. So right. that so means it's the 500 in a couple episode. of weeks we're going to hit 500 episodes. That feels like worthy of celebration somehow. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. We need to do little clips. Uh, like we need to do little clips of our old shows. That would be kind of fun. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be a fun? A clips show? Yes, right. so of like our whole like 500 episodes. I mean That's not a, great a clip idea. from each one. You should you should start doing that listening to every episode. Between now and 3 weeks from now, uh, Nikki, I'd how, like you to give our me clips. Help me. <laughs> Have them help us. So if you have a particular show that you really like and remember, maybe that's where we can start. Because, yeah, I can't listen to all 500 episodes. I hope, I hope Productivity Pals is in there somewhere. I think that was funny. There was there's some there is some funny things uh, in there. When so anyway, that's episode five hundred. This uh, uh, ceiling. Oh, Nikki falling to the ceiling one. with a little dangly leg hanging down. <laughs> that was epic. Oh, <laughs> anyway, to support the show, if you're interested in supporting the show, we sure are interested in helping you do that. Head over to patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast, uh, patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast, and uh, you can uh, throw us a few bucks a month. And when you do that, you become a, a supporting member of this show and this community. You get access to our Discord community, our Discord channels, uh, to the super secret levels of the Discord community, Discord channels, fantastic community in there. You get access to uh, workshops that we do monthly and this is a big month because we've got many yes. workshops coming out because we're a little bit behind. behind and yeah. uh and and so there's just all kinds of great stuff and upcoming upcoming is placeholder pete's new podcast about yes. tech stuff uh that is on the way uh, we just uh, we need to get to a point where it's uh, it meets our line our financial line about when we can support the time mm -hmm. and investment into to delivering that show so you know if you've thought about it if you've considered supporting but you haven't done it yet now would be a great time help us get over the hump uh it's the pledge drive it's a pledge drive we're doing a pledge right. drive yeah, so yeah. We, sh we sure appreciate you. And I do have that. a couple of announcements too on the on the other side. Of, yeah, let's of do coach, it. The coaching business side. Okay. Um, before we get started, real quickly, um, we have changed the way that we do study hall. So um, it's, it's starting November first. It's going to be a monthly um, service. So if you're interested in joining me in study hall um, any month, uh, you can do that, and you'll get all of the Thursdays. Um, that are available for study hall. And then we also have the pay as you go um, option as well, but the, the fee will change a little bit. So check that out on how that works. Hopefully it'll be more convenient for people um, to be able to do it on a monthly basis. And then GPS is coming up too. So the next session for GPS, our guided planning session workshops will be beginning in the no uh, beginning of November as well. So take a look at that. If you're interested, um, please let me know. And uh, if you have questions, let me know that too. Outstanding. Right. So much good stuff happening. Now let's get to the show. Jude Parker Kosky has dedicated his career to serving marginalized communities through work in the nonprofit sector since 1996. He's helped youth experiencing homelessness access education, advocated for LGBTQIA youth and families, worked to reform foster care policy, and helped preserve urban open space and community gardens. He's also a transgender professional, and he joins us today to talk about his experience supporting his communities while living with ADHD. 
Jude Kosky, welcome to the ADHD podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Welcome, welcome. Well, uh, man, first of all, I just have to say you're like an angel on earth with all of the different things that you do for our communities. Uh, thank you, first of all, for that. Uh, we need more people like you. Uh, so Jude and I, um, we met through coaching. And so he had reached out to me a while ago. I, I guess it's been a, over a year now. That's um, yeah, you reached out and you wanted to work with me on my online course, which is around time, uh, getting things done around time and, and calendar. And so we set up a really special um, situation, which I don't always do. And we worked together with the module. So each week that we met, we would talk about what he learned in the module and what we were trying to figure out with his schedule and everything and got to know him very well. And uh, then we've also done some personal coaching as well after that, um, that didn't necessarily have to do with with the time um, management course. And you know, Jude has a great, uh, a great story and, uh, lots of great successes, lots of great inspiration. I think that you're going to share with people and also challenging. There were some times that were very challenging that I know a lot of people are also going to relate to. Um, so I'm so happy that you're here. Um, it's not often that I get to have one of my clients on the show. Um, so I, it's an honor. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So it's great Thank to be you. here. <laughs> so where do you want to begin? I think I can share a little bit about uh, growing up and uh, my history and I guess the the process and evolution to what landed me here and now. Um, so yes, uh, my name is, is Jude Parker Kosky and I am uh, living in San Francisco currently, and I identify as transgender. Um, so I'm 47 years old. Uh, I was born in 1974 in Connecticut. Um, I have a brother who's four years older. Um, I have ADHD, um, and my brother also has ADHD, and it is possible, although my mom was never necessarily diagnosed, um, that my mom had ADHD. Um, so, uh, my brother and I were born in Connecticut and, uh, relocated with our mom and dad out to, uh, Madison, Wisconsin in 1978. Um, I was four years old. Um, already by that point, um, as explained by my parents, I don't, remember all too well all the way back then, but at uh, around the age of two, um, I started being, I guess, what is called insistent and persistent. It's kind of a, a medical barometer of uh, gender identity development and ordinarily starting that young that, um, so I was born female and um, essentially at around the age of two, I became very adamant that I did not want to present in any way that was at all effeminate already at, at that young at that age, age, yeah, a toddler. And apparently, um, that's quite typical. Um, of course, you know, there is a very wide range for all development. Everyone is their own unique person, but um that is not outside of, of what is typical. And um, essentially, I very much gravitated towards, um, you know, basically wearing a lot of like my brother's hand-me-downs. Um, I wanted to very much present myself um, uh, at that time, even as how uh, boys pre presented themselves. Um, so by the time I uh, entered kindergarten, I was already um, very much, uh, I think, perceived by many other people as a little boy. Um, oftentimes, people would refer to me um, as, as, as a little boy, people who didn't necessarily know me. Um, and around the time when... Um, you know, I was entering the school system in about 
first grade, um, it became very apparent um, academically that I was having some pretty significant challenges, um, specifically um, with reading. Um, there, there was a great challenge for me to be able to focus and learn uh, within the, the classroom setting. And um, I, I have very distinct memories of just feeling very frustrated and um, as if the way that the curricula was set up and, and the way that the teachers were trying very hard to teach all of the kids in the classroom, that I was really kind of falling through the cracks and entire school days would go by where um, I, I would feel a, a lot of shame, even that early on, that um, I was not necessarily, I think, growing and thriving and learning in ways that I observed my peers to be. Um, I was just very, very distracted and played it very cool. I wasn't necessarily at all acting out in any way. Um, I was more, um, if anything, like a little bit like a silent observer in, in a way. Um, and it's interesting too, because socially, um, very well adjusted and outgoing and made a lot of connections with a lot of people. I think specifically other marginalized people, um, mm. people who had other differences. Um, I tended to really gravitate towards because probably because I could relate to them um, in, in many ways. One of my best friends um, who I'm still very tight with uh, has cerebral palsy and is in a wheelchair. And at that time in the early eighties, um, it was around the time in the, in the public schools there in Wisconsin where kids <laughs> were starting to be more integrated into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. it seems kind of strange to say now, but, um, I, I'm actually still in touch with my first grade teacher. We're friends, <laughs> Mrs. Amazing. Brown, and, uh, she and I talk quite regularly and she actually shared with me for the first time just a couple years ago that, uh, my friend who has cerebral palsy, that was, um, uncharted territory for her, um, to have someone, uh, with different with such different needs in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And she shared just that she was so appreciative that I really assisted in many ways. Um, this friend of mine, we socialized a great deal outside of school and, um, she was in a, she is in a wheelchair and, uh, oftentimes I would, uh, bring her out of her wheelchair. And that was kind of like forbidden in the, in the classroom setting. Um, but we assured her that we did it all the time outside of school. So it was just um, a very uh, challenging experience starting, uh, just underscoring, starting so young. Um, I, and that, that gets to yeah. a, a question, Jerry, I, but forgive me interrupting. I, I, I'm sitting here thinking like I, I think about, you know, the experience as a kid uh, who who is charting internally this like path around identity and yeah. understanding, you know, who you were at that time. And also the, the sort of relationship that I can relate more directly to, which is the ADHD stuff, like that yes. starts to rear its head and you start feeling kind of, I, I have to imagine uh, doubly alone. Like if you were to, to, to talk about like how, how you approach both of these paths as such a young person having to just sort of face that and and the kind of support you were or were not getting from you know your parents your family your your teachers around both of those things was that was that a conversation very much so um i'm very lucky in that most especially my mom was uh she was a, a labor activist and and feminist um and an advocate and in many ways, also a community organizer in, in her early days of her professional career and um, was really my strongest advocate. Um, my father went along with 
uh, her her leadership and in, in advocating for me. Um, and this is across the board uh, in terms of um, kind of my neuro difference and learning difference, but then also my gender and sexual identity development. Um, and I think I'm I'm very fortunate in that both of my parents and also my brother um, were very much from the perspective of uh, free to be you and me, um, very much uh, supporting whatever direction I felt compelled I wanted and needed to go. And, and from such an early age, I was so, um, you know, adamant of who I was, um, not really, not wavering in that ever that I had that full support. So these conversations were happening. Um, I was able to have conversations about the different bullying I faced, um, you know, in, in first grade back, back then in the early eighties, Converse high tops were not popular for, uh, for cis, for cis or biologically gendered females as you all may remember oh and, very much um, yeah yeah and so my dad played basketball he wore converse low tops actually for basketball and um i wanted nothing more but red converse high tops and i got them in first grade but i was severely made fun of and even though that was extremely painful um and difficult i was able to have conversations with my parents about it i I wore them every day despite that because it was in a way a signal of my identity, my my gender saying, hi, you know, I'm, and, and my birth name is April. And so back then that is how I was referred to, you know, it's like, I'm April. Um, I may look like a little boy um, and guess what? I was born female. This is who I am. And I'm wearing red high, high, mm-hmm. high tops. Yeah. But um, but you world, you world of first graders are going to have yeah. to get used to people right. presenting in yeah. different yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah. So I well, think I, I did get some respect for that in, in oh, large regard. And then the bullies kept bullying, but I, I did have a lot of support and advocacy from my teacher and my parents. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and you, you say you're know. still in touch with your first grade. Do you still have the the high tops? Are they somewhere? Can you pull out the red do, high tops? I, of course uh, you do. I do. Yeah, my <laughs> mom. Awesome. My mom saved them. Uh, oh, that's and, fantastic. And, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So sadly, really she good. died in 2018, and when my brother oh. and I were going through her trunk, it was like an archaeological dig. Um, starting at the bottom, where literally all of our baby things, like a wooden mobile and then the the next layers and there were my red high tops it was it was oh that's awesome that is wow amazing that's amazing nikki i'm sorry i interrupted you oh no that's okay i just i know you weren't diagnosed with um adhd until later so in in elementary school middle school and even high school you didn't know you had the adhd correct right so yeah so um still there in, in in first grade the learning how to read it was my mom who, um, when it became apparent that I was not going to be learning how to read in the classroom setting, um, my mom teamed up uh, with my first grade teacher. And um, my mom really kind of spearheaded the plan to take it upon herself to teach me outside of school. So she was pointed to an education um, store in in, uh, the town that we lived in. And we went there and we got a lot of support, um, which is phenomenal to think about even, you know, that, that far back in the early eighties. Uh, but being very close to Madison, it, uh, the, the education, um, was really top notch and the resources there too were really great. So we stockpiled up on books. I got to choose, uh, special books to learn how to read around the topic areas that I preferred. And um, that helps with the ADHD. Yeah. 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 I got to pick out whatever I wanted and we went back frequently and got more books and it was a, it was a pretty, I remember it being like a pretty big investment. These books were not available at the library. And um, so my mom and I would spend hours after most school days in first grade um, practicing. And, um, 
it was a major struggle. There are a lot of memories of of crying together and just um, navigating that um, experience together. And it makes me emotional just thinking about it. Um, but it, it was really hard. And um, my mom, you know, believed in me and she um, just really helped me learn how to read. And uh, I remember the aha moments. Um, and it really, it, it was just um, having that, I think the quiet and focused um, brackets of time to uh, to practice without the distractions that are in a classroom. And then I think also um, the patience um, because, my, you know, I love my first grade teacher, but she had, you know, however many other students, probably 25 other students. And um, it really, I just really needed more time. And after a while, I completely caught on. And it's so interesting too, because um, I would imagine other people can relate to this. Once I took off, um, I so enjoyed reading. And um, I even, in that same school year, I joined an actual book club that mm. only kids who really enjoyed reading were a part of. And there were only like seven of us in this book club. <laughs> and it was, it was led by another teacher from another grade. And um, it was just such an interesting experience, the, the oscillation from not reading very well and, and having it be super smooth and enjoyable to um, really enjoying reading and then taking a deep dive so young and and getting that support. Um, So that was kind of the foundation and springboard really for my family to understand how I best learned. And then from that point forward, thankfully, my parents really dialed in. They got both my brother and I into um, uh, private schools where the classroom sizes were very, very small. And also, I was privileged enough to be able to have access to private tutoring. Um, so essentially from that point forward, all the way through um, high school, um, I had access to the academic resources that I really needed to, to help me along a great deal. It was in high school. So that, that coasted me along quite well, um, all the way through middle school. And then once I hit high school and, um, I went to two, uh, academically rigorous private schools, um, one in Rhode Island and one in Virginia, and they were all girls. I went to all girls, uh, boarding uh, schools, uh, not boarding, but, um, Catholic day schools. Mm. And, uh, that was also quite the experience. So of course, parallel to this, I think one of my analysis of, of, of my experience is that all the while, um, you know, I was preoccupied really with sizing myself up to my peers, not only cognitively, neurologically, but also, um, for my gender and sexual identity. And so I think compounded with having ADHD, it really just made it that much more tricky. And I think challenging in a way for my teachers and and schools to be able to meet me where I was at. And that, and that is where the rubber did not hit the road. (laughs) Well, that's right. That's what what I'm thinking. Like when you're at these, at these girls day schools, are you still navigating the red high tops dilemma of how you're presenting in this community? Or did you just, I don't know what, what it's called when you just blend in. Yeah, Those those went in the trunk. Um, Okay. So yeah, like so much, so much of uh, me, I think, growing and and figuring out how, you know, how to survive really and how to um, navigate school and and social and my own identity development. Um, I think that's really in large part, and this goes back 
to starting when I was four years old, becoming an athlete. Um, my father was a triathlete. My brother was an athlete. So I very, very much leaned on athletics. I was a soccer player um, for you know nearly 30 years and starting very young, competitively playing for the schools and then also club leagues. Um, as I've learned about adrenaline and the relationship to ADHD, um, I think I was very much um, seeking to have that outlet and release, I think, for the physical activity exertion. Yeah. And then also it, it seems that the adrenaline was probably very helpful in um, helping me uh, recalibrate and stay focused the, the dopamine, right. I mean, yeah, exercise cool. is so powerful with ADHD. And from what um, I understand, you were, you were focused so much on soccer in school. Those were the two things that you did. And that exercise, I'm sure you probably worked out more than once a day and some days. Uh, yeah, yeah, it makes I, sense. I um, did a lot of long distance running for conditioning and uh, a lot of, a lot of running with my dad. And then I was essentially playing a sport year round. I would play other sports, field hockey, um, cross country, um, to stay, to stay fit and active for, for soccer. Um, so yeah, in high school, I, I really, really struggled and the school at the time, I don't know now, but the school at the time, uh, did not have any education support services for any learning difference. Really? And that's yeah. a private school? I say that, that's a shock, but it's a shock from Pete now. Of course, at the time, I, I imagine know. that that's... Well, in a private school too, they're not... Yeah. Uh, they, they don't have the same, um, requirements, requirements. Correct. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, so it was really, uh, my, my father who made sure that I had, uh, the private tutoring in place, um, to stay on course as, as best as possible. And then frankly, it was actually my peer group who, um, really just, <laughs> so openly embraced um, my difference. We didn't have a name for it. Uh, yeah. Nobody I knew at that time had a diagnosis of ADHD, zero people. And so my, my friends were really just so kind and many of them were um, very, very high achieving and they were taking all the advanced um, courses, honors. And so they actually found school really fun and easy. And uh, my, my, my close peer group, most of them, and I studied with them. I, I um, was able to receive actual tutoring from my peers. Um, and we did that on a regular basis um, in addition um, to the, the uh, private tutors. It's so interesting because you had the support of accommodations without even knowing that that's yeah, what you that, were doing. You had accommodations, that's right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, and, yeah. yeah, and and I also would make connections with the actual teachers and do my best in in the ways that I knew how to describe. Then was you know that I'm very interested in their topic. I didn't want to offend or disrespect them in any way by making it seem like I was not interested. Um, so I took the time, even if I was not approached by them, um, to let them know that I wanted to learn everything that they were teaching and that I just needed a little bit of support with that. So there were uh, plenty of teachers who did take the time um, to uh, uh, teach me different things, you know, after, after the actual, uh, classes. So that was really helpful. I'm, I'm starting to put a picture together of you, Jude, and I'm, I'm starting to see that. I, and I'm wondering it, where the chicken or the egg landed. Are you in, are you doing the work you do today because of your experience early on with the, the value of just community resources coming to your aid? Or was this you being a community activist in your earliest days? Is that just how you're wired? I, I don't know how it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's a very good question. I, it's probably a both and. Yeah. Um, 
like I said, I, I really had my mom and, and my dad in many ways modeling. Um, I think both my brother and I um, received great satisfaction, um, uplifting uh, anyone around us who um, seemed to be seeking out or needing any type of support. Clearly. Um, and I certainly benefited from a great deal of support, surround sound. Um, so I think you are hitting the nail on the head um, that I chose to go into the nonprofit sector um, out the gate uh, right after graduating from, from college. So move us move us forward to the to the next sort of pivotal moment for you, like as you're or that that pivotal period for you as as the the ADHD, the transition, all of these things sort of start to come to a head. Yes. So in high school, um, I came out to my uh, very close peer group uh, at the time as as bisexual. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was uh, in my senior year of high school. Um, and that was around the time when I did have uh, a, a suicide attempt um, towards the end of, of my high school um, year. And uh, I was hospitalized um, and I spent a, a good number of uh, the days um, for the remaining uh, part of the, my senior year um, hospitalized in, in intensive um, therapeutic support. Um, that happened in March and I graduated several months later. Um, and so that was a really big moment. Um, I survived and, um, I had a lot of support from, from my family and my peers to push through. Um, I was really struggling with, um, my neuro difference, um, my sexual and gender identity. you know, I didn't know anyone else among my peers who identified um, as LGBT. And so it was quite isolating. And I suppose, too, I was getting nervous uh, about, you know, becoming independent and, and, and leaving for college. I was very excited for that, but also nervous. And so um, I... I stayed focused. I managed to apply for college um, and uh, was accepted at Johnson and Wales University in Providence, Rhode Island, um, where I had lived before we moved to Virginia. So I was really excited um, to get back up to Rhode Island. And that was really um, a major turning point. I think um, after my experience at the tail end there of high school, um, it was really a springboard and I had an aha of, um, this is, you know, the next exciting chapter of my life. And I became extremely motivated to just give it, give it my all. And I, I dove into, uh, the, the college experience, um, very enthusiastically. Um, I was playing college, uh, soccer. And uh, that was so, so helpful um, to be able to maintain focus. And um, I was uh, studying undergraduate business and was able to make great connections with my professors and was actually able to focus um, my work while in college on on nonprofit and, and youth leadership development which was quite unique compared to the other um, business school students who wanted to kind of go on the a little bit more marketing and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and you were not diagnosed at this point, right? So in your undergraduate, you still don't know about the ADHD. Correct. Okay. And really there's no mention of anyone. Again, I know who has ADHD at this point, this is in the early nineties. And so, I maintained a laser focus on uh, a pretty even split between soccer and academics. Um, And so I actually ended up, um, I was so focused and enthusiastic about just doing well, because I Mm -hmm. think I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. 
and yeah. um, that I had learned what I needed to, to shore myself up and, and do what I needed to do. So I actually ended up taking um, trimesters also uh, during the summers. And I went to school year round and I essentially played soccer and um, long distance running year round. And I graduated, I ended up graduating from college um, a year early as a result, um, because I just was on this accelerated uh, path. So then it sounds like college was a, was a, a heck of a difference from high school. Very, uh, yeah, a, a very stark difference. I think also because I went to um, a very academically uh, rigorous, rigorous yeah. high school, it really uh, teed me up uh, for a super positive uh, college experience. Uh, I was I was very lucky in that regard. I was used to really a lot of pressure um, academically. And even though I was not necessarily taking honors courses at my high school, they were at the caliber that right. really um, set me up for success um, in, in college. I actually found, although um, I still had to study, I think, 10 times as hard and reading uh, comprehension was a little bit more challenging and difficult, I think, than my peers, even in college. Um, I just stuck with it. And really, when I wasn't, you know, out enjoying Rhode Island and the natural beauty there and playing soccer, I was studying. I was studying and reading and and preparing. So you graduated a, a year early. And then did you go straight to to your master's program or was there some time off there? I took um, a lot of time really off from, okay. from academics. I I dove right into professional work. Um, mm-hmm. So graduated in 96 and then um, from Rhode Island moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where essentially I started my career in the nonprofit sector. I worked um, at a youth runaway and homeless shelter and um, became the, the education coordinator there and supported youth who um, either needed a respite from uh, a home-based setting or who were actually experiencing homelessness. And um, I would uh, advocate and go to bat for them in most cases, believe it or not, to be able to stay in school. Um, A lot of schools are not set up for students who are experiencing homelessness. And um, in Michigan at the time, they had this, I think it's the fifth Friday count. So every fifth Friday, all the teachers would count how many students in their classrooms uh, were present. And that is the funding that they would receive. So if any students um, join their classroom after that count, they wouldn't necessarily receive funding. So it was actually conducive for them to keep kids out who had left the classroom for various reasons. So I was meeting with um, school administrators, essentially um, letting them know what the law was and uh, helping youth regain access to their school of origin, regardless of where they were living at the time. And I would help them um, coordinate transportation uh, so that they could actually get back in the classroom. So when was the transition for you? When did that happen? So Really in um, college, I started uh, beginning to identify as transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, so in high school, I, I certainly um, experimented, I guess is the word I use for it, although I see it as I was just being and living. Um, but I experimented experimented with femininity. Um, I, you know, grew my hair down to my waist, long blonde hair. I went to the proms. I um, presented at times quite effeminately. And then by the time of my freshman year of college, that's actually when I came out. um, And the way that I named it and identified at the time was bisexual. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came out to my family and my entire community. And, um, then shortly thereafter, I started shifting in a way, the way that I describe it, I describe it as I was, um, transitioning essentially back to my roots 
because the way that I identified in many ways, even though I didn't have a name for it and presented myself going all the way back to before first grade Mm -hmm. uh, was more masculine. So there was the bracket of time in high school when I presented as uh, a feminine. And then what I call is going back to my roots. um, I started um, uh, changing the look of my hair, started going shorter, shorter, shorter. Um, And when I was in college, um, I started wearing more uh, masculine clothing. And that is when the shift uh, to coming out as transgender happened. Mm -hmm. After I graduated from college is when um, I I really started identifying as transgender. And by the time I moved to San Francisco in 99, um, I had come out as transgender in my workplace in Ann Arbor and was fully embraced. That's when I changed my my name um, from April to my middle name of Jude. Um, and in the workplace, uh, I was, I was very much, um, you know, welcome to do so. And my supervisor at the time very quickly regenerated new business cards and changed (laughs) all the contact lists and even had like this little celebration. April is now Jude. And it was quite a positive experience. Yeah. So that was in the late nineties. And then by the time I moved to San Francisco, um, I more fully started to come out as transgender and started using male pronouns. And that Mm -hmm. was in 1999. What is the, what is the intersection of, of, uh, it's probably intersection isn't the right word, I'm, I'm sure, but there is a, there, where does ADHD meet your transitioning experience? Like how, what was the impact of ADHD on that? Is that something that's describable? You know, I think the best way that I can describe my experience and, and, um, all of this to say, you know, everyone's journey is different and unique, right? And so my journey has had a very, in a way, like a compounding um, effect for me. So I think in everything I do and the lens that I look through and the way that I operate is multidimensional and intersecting. I'm never uh, experiencing life in a silo. When I'm entering a new space, especially with other people I may not have interacted with, the self-acknowledgement that I have ADHD and this neuro difference is very strong and prominent, and I'm a a bit self-conscious of it. And then I think the compounding effect of, you know, so I've been taking testosterone since 2008 and my voice has lowered a little bit. And there are many moments where I think people pick up that my voice may be different than a, a, than a cis or biological male. And so I'm tuned in to that that's a possibility. And so I have this heightened awareness and uh, in a way, just a lot of self-consciousness around it, right? And and so that's compounded with the ADHD experience um, because there's there's a lot going on. I think there's a lot of lot of layers in play, both internally and then um, you know, it's no surprise to me that externally as well, the way I'm being perceived and interacted with. So I do notice that. I that's a <sighs> Man, that's the thing that that sort of blows my mind a little bit because part of you know as you present today with male pronouns, I'm looking at you like there's I I had I not known I would not have a question, and so my first uh, false assumption is that at some point after you've introduced yourself uh, in, in and your your new identity you've made that transition public that at some point you're sort of um finished 
right? That that, that you're no longer thinking about here's who I'm, here's who I, I want to be, here's who I am inside, and here's who I want the world to see me as. Right. Now I am who I want the world to see me as, and I'm kind of now I'm kind of done. Can I can I get to the good work of helping the world be a better place? Uh, and then the ADHD is the thing that's that becomes the most sort of resonant. Uh, thing like I that's the thing again I can relate to because I walk into a busy room with people who don't know me and I know I'm going to learn 15 names in five minutes and not remember any of them in minute six you right. know because mm -hmm. I just can't think like that um, and so the fact that that neither of these things are ever finished in any way shape or form it sounds like I, it's just a new version of the journey whatever tomorrow is it might not be today but it's still the journey that's right I mean I have found as, as the years roll by that most everything is fluid and that really includes the ADHD experience as well as gender and, and, and sexuality identity to anchor this to um, being relevant, especially I think to, to youth and young adults, that is a really important factor and experience of of young people that gender and, and sexuality really is fluid. And I think for a lot of folks of older generations and a lot of people who are not LGBTQIA+, that can be sometimes challenging to wrap your mind around. Um, but there, it is no surprise. And I think a lot of people with kids right now and a lot of youth are hearing that there there are many young people and adults who are are identifying as somebody different even on a daily basis my partner is a, a high school classroom teacher and year over year she's been at the same school for 20 years and teaches human development and year over year, there are just more and more students who are identifying as, as genderqueer, um, transgender, and uh, many other uh, identities. And they are using pronouns um, that may not be the same with each day. And so uh, this is a stretch, I think, for a lot of people and it is a reality and simply yeah, those, that cognitive dissonance is real. It can be both things at the correct. same time. And I think I, I yeah, remember the arguments I get in with my father about this and uh, just talking, just hearing the language that he's comfortable with versus the language that I'm trying to rationalize with my daughter, who's That's understanding right. these things in a very different way. Correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so your daughter, uh, how how old is your daughter? What grade? She is she's uh, she's nineteen now, and so okay, yeah. So she's in college, she has yeah. definitely had the experience yeah. of uh, peers who are uh, you know using different pronouns on the daily and and identifying in 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 ways that um, you know really are are much more rooted in fluidity. So young people are identifying in ways that are coming very natural to them because, because it is natural. I think we uh, as adults and older generations tend to want to categorize people and feel more comfortable when folks identify a certain way and stick with it. However, that is that is not the reality of the human experience, and and that's that's true for the experience of having ADHD, and also true for the experience of of gender and sexual identity. 
Well, and I, it, it's just such a, it's such an important conversation and it's such an important conversation for, you know, the way I personalize it is just like, what can I do to make, you know, my home and my world, the world around me feel like a safe place for more of these kinds of conversations. And, uh, as such, you know, I told you when we, right before we started, I, I always approaching these conversations as a student, there's so much I don't know. And I feel like you've just opened up a whole world of new things for me not to know about <laughs> really very well. Mm-hmm. And, and. And uh, I'm I'm eager to learn. I this is this is really great, Jude. Thank you for thank you for your willingness to talk about this stuff with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Nikki, did we miss anything you really wanted to get get out here? No, I you know, I just really again, like Pete said, I appreciate you so much being here, Jude. It's always been such a pleasure to work with you, and it's such an honor to see you go through this journey and to share your story with us. I'm just very um honored that you are are doing this. And um I love the work you're doing. Keep doing your work, right? Because it's so important. Um, And you have an excellent boss. I have to actually shout out to his boss because I'll tell you, (laughs) she is, I've only met her a couple of times, but she's wonderful. And she supports Jude in such a great way. And it's such a good, um, oh, what do I want to say? Not influence, but uh, role model of how supervisors and bosses you know, can get along with their coworker, their colleagues and support them in so many different ways. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously you work with Amy all the time. So what are your thoughts? (laughs) Professionally, um, I've certainly been lucky enough to have a, a lot of support and most especially, um, from my supervisors, you know, even with the organization I was with for 17 years doing foster care policy reform work. And then when I joined N10 in 2019, um, it's a community I've been a part of since 2011 as a member. Um, and when I joined at, on staff um, as, as the membership director, and now I'm transitioning um, to membership and community director, uh, I received a tremendous amount of support right, right out the gate, um, for, uh, anything and everything I need. And then also, um, for having ADHD, I was lucky enough to be able to utilize my professional development resources to be able to work with you, Nikki, as a coach, and I couldn't more highly recommend that. Um, so yes, I receive a tremendous amount of, of support and, and guidance, uh, from my supervisor, Amy, uh, Sample Ward, the CEO of N10. And that has been invaluable. Um, and the, the work that we do is based in, in racial equity and, and equity um, surround sound. So uh, we uh, practice uh, equity through and through, both internally and, and, and with the community and, and the members that we work with. Okay, two things. Uh, one, you've used the term surround sound in a context twice that I haven't fully understood. Can you explain what what you mean? Yeah, I, I think uh, I mean in, in all areas uh, okay. that are important to, to receive support. So, um, you know, whether it be through through the supervision, um, also through the, the organizational culture, okay. um, the, the systems and, and operations that we have in place that are, are rooted in equity and, um, you know, supporting the staff, um, as, as necessary so that everyone essentially can be their best selves and, and carry the work through in ways, um, that, that, that we need. And, um, that doesn't come, uh, you know, without, without support from, from all directions. Okay. And, and second, you have acronym dropped your organization N10. Tell us a little bit more about what, about the organization itself. What do you do there? Yeah. So we, uh, essentially support, uh, organizations, nonprofit organizations and the individuals in them to better meet their missions uh, through using technology. And um, and this is all 
under the foundation of, of racial equity. So anything and everything that we do is, is very intentionally through uh, the equity lens. Like I said, uh, programmatically, um, systems-wise, operations, and um, in practice. Um, so that's always at the forefront of, of, of our work and the conversations that we have. Does it stand for something? N10, it, it currently is, is standalone. Uh, okay. And uh, you can look us up, yeah, for n10.org. It's, it's just n-t-e-n.org. N-T-E-N.org. Correct. N10.org. Okay. That's it, right. I love how you put that. It's currently standalone. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> maybe one day it will. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. We'll put links in the show notes. And I hope I, I if there are any other um, sort of resources that you feel like you would want to share with our uh, with our audience, I, I hope you'll send them to me so I can put them in the show notes and and uh, we can point people in the right direction to to learn more, educate themselves. And um, and again, keep creating safe spaces for these kinds of growth conversations. Thank you, Jude, so much. Jude, you're fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate your time and your attention. Don't forget, if you have something to contribute about this conversation, head over to the Show Talk channel. I've got a new thread in there for the live stream today. You can talk right in there uh, in our Discord server, and you can join us there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer and Jude Kosky, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll see you right back here next week on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. Thank you.